one of the most extraordinary things to me about this program is that uh, we're going to be treated to the extraordinary There is a path in the trash, there is hair in the feathers, singing, there is song, there is song, there are birds, there is hair in my mouth, there is a snake on the path, sunning, there is sun, there is sun, there is hair in my mouth, there is singing on the path, there is a snake in the trash, singing, there is song, there is sun, there are feathers in her hair, there is flavor in the stream, there is a snake on my tongue in the sun, sunning, there is sun, there is sun, there is singing on the sun, there are birds on the grass, there are squirrels in the trash, there are trees with feathers singing. There is sun. There is a snake on the path sunning. There is sun. All right. This past Saturday at the farmer's market, an African brother shoves at us a basket of boysenberries as if paying a debt. They bleed on our fingertips, plead sweet mercy on our tongues. Ask his name, the man smiles proper, his hand a gift, says too complicated. We buy nine dollars in cherries off him, all white and red and spotted and sweet and sour too. Flavors turning in our mouths, anxious as police lights. We no I nearly trip over this sister pushing a baby carriage. We know her, but couldn't pull her name for nothing. Her new daughter asleep in turtle shell carriage, her cheeks soft as rain-soaked petals. Her three-year-old son, standing sentry, digs into our kettle corn sack only after mama stamps approval with a glance. Later, 
Fish tacos for her, Himalayan curry chicken for me. Us both lunching, watching children bounce in the fountain. Hot pepper toes pickled cool in water. Giggles going off like Chinese firecrackers. Dimples in bloom. Tiny teeth at separate corners of the mouth grudge matching. Thighs you'd want to fry chicken bites so golden brown. Pity another poor mama, her daughter catfish writhing on her lap. Mango shake shook everywhere. The little girl on a straw never blinks, channeling opium addict ancestors through the unique ecstasy of fruit sugar. This is us at Farmer's Market, circling back to Brother Too Complicated, who offers one arm for her, the other for me, a chain of chins along his shoulders. Where have you been, he says, double-hugging us, and why has it taken you so long to come back? All right. Um, this is a piece for, dedicated to my foster father and um, my cousin on my adoptive side, John Edward. One, daddy. Old Crow, Jack Daniels, understood my father mouthfuls at a time. Jim Bean and Old Forrester were uncles in hard glass suits. They'd roll up in the knuckle-cracking sigh of Hennessy taking its first breath, then hound dog laughter and dominoes falling in hail on the graveyard of the dining room table. Relatives who existed only through stories and memory would ease in like zombies on ropes of Blue Marlboro and Newport and Camel Smoke, then demand a seance in spades, coon can, and Texas Hold'em. No wonder they called it spirits. Spirits baited my father with Cuvassier, snatching him out of his body like a river catfish, and he vanished like that. Spirits made him burn rubber scream in the driveway, stand on my bed a sloppy marionette and speak in tongue, or just toss pans and skillets at midnight. I wouldn't see his ass again until the next afternoon, looking like something had chewed all the sugar out of him and spit the gray pulp on the couch. Two, Johnny. My cousin John Edward volunteered for possession every week. Spirits lit that nigga up like Vesuvius. He was certified. Electroshock exorcisms did nothing. Empty bottles and cans were his weekend storm warning. Old English, Colt 45, Crazy Horse Cisco, they demand the sacrifices in blood. So bottles of Haldol and Thorazine would dice roll under the couch Friday nights, then doors slammed to splinters, tables get flipped, walls kicked until straitjackets lay waiting on the lawn. Mama would cite visions of gang boys with tire iron erections and Johnny's convertible skull with its metal vent as if it explained anything. It didn't. Between dusk Friday and dawn Saturday, he'd still be ready to blow this mother up. Do you want some of this? Do you want some of this? Oh no, oh yes, oh no, oh yes, I'll be damned, I'll be damned, I'll be damned. Um, this is called Someone Else's Child, and I guess the fastest intro is it's, uh, it's a sort of imagined conversation with, uh, that took place in a very real moment um, in my father's hospital room a mere matter of weeks before he actually died. My father here is my foster father, um, and there was always in my life this level of awkwardness because I guess I was not biologically his own son and he and I never really got to have the conversation that I imagine here on page in this piece. Um, so there's a lot of truth in it um, and here we go, someone else's child. 
I'm going to write a poem about you, I said. Should I tell the truth or just make something up? What you'd write about me? I'd write about the small things, like catching my first perch on a cane pole and accidentally slapping you upside the head with it. It was the last time I fished, you know that? You cussed the waters black, mad. I never touched a fishing pole again. Why would you want to write that? Silence. Do you remember when mom tried to teach me how to ride a bike? No, he said. Let me hear it. Why I can't ride a bike. I outweigh my mother by at least 50 pounds, though her effort to help find my balance is more colossal than any man's. My father, fingers rooted in pockets, watches us at a distance like we're on a channel he'd like to turn. That's a sad poem, he said. Can't you write nothing happy? Not with you in it, I said. But I ain't never hit you. Thumped your head once or twice. Mostly, I'm stuck remembering what we never did. Share something. Play catch, even. Wasn't no athlete. Try teaching you how to drive. Sitting next to me on the freeway holding the steering wheel doesn't count. Well, ain't had nobody to teach me none of them things, either. Did you ever hold me when I was a baby, I asked. Nah, afraid I'd drop you. Besides, you were someone else's child. Didn't think we'd keep you very long. Thought for a while she'd come back and take you back to your people. If you wrote a poem about right now, he said, about us here in this room, how would it go? Last rites. While sitting with my father, waiting for his end, white tubes sprouting from his wintry branches, I watch the hospital clock. See us men watching one another not look at each other for one hour and 15 minutes. Somehow in that ridiculous gulf of time, it never occurred to either of us to even say, I love you. All you write, he said, are sad poems. What would you have me write? The truth. Your poem ought to be called with no C, and it should go like this. He did the best he could with what he had, and he ain't had nothing except the blues. The end. His most recent book uh, was published this year uh, by the University of Georgia Press. Uh, It is available at the back of the auditorium this afternoon. It is called Blood Ties and Brown Liquor. And he has also uh, been the finalist for the 2006 Cave Canem Poetry Prize. So please join me in welcoming Mr. Sean Hill. I feel honored to be in the company that I'm in. Um, And I'm going to read from Blood Ties and Brown Liquor today. 
This book is about um, my hometown, Milledgeville, Georgia. Um, it's also where Flannery O'Connor is from. And uh, I started researching the history of Milledgeville and, and sort of fell into the history of, of black people there because that just wasn't really taught in school. So um, in order to write about that history, I had to invent a character um, to explore this, this history. And the, the, the character's name is Silas Wright. And this first poem I'm going to read is titled Silas Wright at Age 7, 1914. Uh, it's about um, that moment of gaining letters. Silas follows a fish's wriggle in the shallows between reeds. He scribes the line in his tablet, as much pride in that line as a man in his son. He almost giggles. Still he goes on. The next letters come easy. With this, he'll have more than a mark to bind. Rambling across the page again and again, in messy rows, on it flows until he goes a little off the page's edge. He smiles. He's surprised to hear when his mouth opens, that's mine. So um, this really lovely book that Georgia put together for me has uh, this great painting on the, the cover. It's uh, painting of uh, Macintosh Street in Milledgeville, Georgia. It was painted sometime in the 1940s by uh, a, a, a man, Frank Stanley Herring. Um, I saw this painting after I'd written this next poem and, and um, after I talked to my grandmother and, and she mentioned this street to me um, that I didn't really know existed because by the time I was coming up, the black business district, which this is a painting of, um, was pretty much gone, and in the past in the past few years, I think they, they've erected a monument to it. So this is the next poem is about the Black Business District in Milledgeville, Nigger Street, 1937. Macintosh Street, the sign reads, like the apple, red but not red, delicious red, but red like red-eyed gravy on grits at Gus's, or red like stoplights, but they're also green and yellow, like apples in Allen's Market on the corner and red like those powders and syrups kept behind the counter at Doc's Pharmacy, and red like stoked coals or embers, red in Saul's Forge, red, and red like the stripe on Richard's barber pole, and the stitching around buttonholes of overalls of those coming to town on Saturdays, and red like the three ball, solid red in the side pocket at the blue moon, and red like the eyes of those late-staying patrons early in country churches on Sunday mornings, and in church, the red of the edge of white pages in a black-bound Bible coming together, closing, red as the congregation rises. This next poem uh, references a lynching, um, the lynching of two, two couples in Monroe, Georgia. It occurred uh, July 25th, 1946. It's now referred to as the Moore's Ford lynching. Insurance Man, 1946. Silas, you might not be here come April. Ain't none of us ever promised tomorrow. If you died right sudden, you'd need a will. That way you control your nickel when you're gone. Get your ducks in a row, Silas. You might not be here come April. 
yeah, your policy's up to date, and we'll pay, say, if you lose an arm at the elbow at the mill. But if you died, you need a will. Double pay for accidental deaths. We still have you down. Your wife won't need to borrow, Silas. You might not be here come April. Being alive is enough to get you killed. Do you hear about them folks up in Monroe? If they hang you from a tree, you'll need a will. Your folks won't have to worry about a meal with this insurance when that day of sorrow comes. Silas, you might not be here come April. If you died right sudden, you'd need a will. This next poem is titled Milledgeville High Bun. Beat, beat, beats beat here. The sound of the train on the Georgia road, the measured claps of the wheels at the gaps of the joints of the rails, is the beat of the hammer on iron and anvil at the smithy, Saul's shop, shaping shoes for mules and horses. And the sizzle of red metal and water is the train's whistle, and all echoes resound and diffuse. And the last word returns like watermelons here with summer heat. Beat with a hammer, beat when he, a boy, broke into the garden at the county jail at night when the beat men were asleep, because theirs were the sweetest. So bust one open, the dull thud just before the crack, and eat the heart, and move on to the next. And he moved on to women, and settled eventually on one, and finally busted her with finality, thud before crack. And he measured time, raising the sweetest watermelons for a time, and time served. He returned, a man, and he lay on the tracks of the Georgia road, cradled by the rails. Heart stopped. Old railroad abandoned. Between cross ties, trees grow. A feral pig roots below branches. This poem's about a ham. Uncle John. That was the year Granddaddy Thomas died. Left the family worse than broke. Uncle John stole a ham from Mr. Ennis's meat market. He was 17. Lost his taste for it. Locked up 14 years. Ham, salt cured, and earth red. Sliced with the fat hanging on. Yellow sunshine on a white plate. The ham bone cut crosswise. Rings marrow. A dark eye, all in the skillet, making gravy for grits. Lost his taste for all things salt, the ocean he hasn't seen, woman and man. He don't never want to see no more ham on his plate. Hates pigs. Was hard for him. Hates white folks, too. Time off for good behavior. They didn't hold him to the last six. He's a hog farmer. Only eats beef and chicken and turkey. Fish, turtle, and rabbit. Squirrel, possum, and coon. And seasons his greens with smoked oxtails. Can't raise white folks for slaughter. For those of you who have not heard Devorah Major read, you're in for some uh, big, beautiful surprises. Uh, she speaks with... Uh, Tremendous authority of feeling and uh, very uniquely agile intelligence. Without further ado, please welcome Devorah Major.
We are the memory of that place without measure that filled all space that never was and ever will be. That place existing as the perfect note yet making no sound, holding all colors inside a light that was nothing but darkness. We are the memory of a breath that could not be but was, a breath that swelled to bubble which burst and then collapsed. We are the memory gestated in days that lasted eons as the universe womb birthed heat, light, rock, ice, mineral, song, us. We are the impossible made flesh creating infinite possibilities of hope or endless chasms of despair inside the prayers which we have become. This is called the fifth dime because I deal with not just the wars away but the wars here. Annie was one of so many girls my son had mentioned in passing and only grew distinct when she became the fifth in ten days with whom he had more than once broken bread or tossed a joke or waved down or waved past. She the fifth in ten days whose blood splattered the walls and dripped down the walk. This one in front of her home, celebrating turning th 23, a shining star, her brother said, my heart, her father moaned, a friend, my son, opened to his sister, known since the girl was 12 and he 11. And now each day I watch my son suck in his tears and stiffen from the pain that thickens as the pile of his dead grows beneath his heart. Deep inside his bones ache and will not let him sleep lest those faces fill his dreams. I try to massage love into his neck and shoulders as we talk rub anguish from his locked muscles. We don't speak of Annie, who never was his lady, his pretend wife, his confidant. But he reminds me that it is not yet summer, so I should be real. It can only get worse. He dresses in white and leaves my home. As the key turns the bolt, I smell the mossy scent of morning seep from underneath the designer perfume he has left in his wake. And this is, I have several poems in various soldiers' voices, uh, some that I made up and some that exist. This is for Jessica Lynch, War Memories. I have forgotten myself, who I was, I cannot now know who I have become if a stranger. I have forgotten myself. There are other things to lose in battle besides arms and legs, eyes and gut, other sacrifices before life. I have lost myself. 
I am not who I was before this war. I am not she who no longer dares to be. My mother is so happy with this worn body returned home. We pretend that I am as whole as I look. But at night, when I stare through the dark at the hidden image in the mirror, I cannot lie to the stranger I see. I have forgotten everything except my affection for children, my service to country, and my insatiable fear. Sizing up the cost of war. What is left but the shoes? Shoes scuffed and torn, no longer having feet to carry them. Shoes empty now. Work boots still bearing mud from the last field that he had plowed with his father. Empty now. Red sneakers with white stripes brought back from America by her oldest son to her young, given to her youngest. Both of them immediately running outside, kicking the soccer ball back and forth, the older ruffling the youngster's head after a well-aimed goal. Empty now. Heavy and white. They were the first pair of shoes she ever walked in, the first she had learned to untie so that she could wriggle out and once again feel the sand sift between her toes. Empty now. His work boots were resold many times. Next season he would have bought a new pair or perhaps the season after that. But these old ones, darkened from the oil, had become supple and familiar. They knew his feet, grasped his ankles, and kept them strong. Empty now. She had smiled when he offered her the embossed leather pumps, made for her in Italy, from the pattern he had carefully traced around her narrow feet, long toes tapered in perfect symmetry. Empty now. Regulation boots, smoothed by the sand-salt crystals, seeming to be so much of the desert they had walked, the inside soles showing imprints of thick, heavy feet. Empty now. And these handmade slippers, that were a vanity only, a grandmother's silk-flowered kiss that never touched the ground, because as her father's favorite, she was still carried everywhere. Empty now. The red heels that she saved for, the brown loafers passed down, the sandals strapped and tied, all empty now. The flesh gone, the blood gone, the legs gone, all gone. Every day another infantry man chooses not to fire his gun. 
Every day another soldier refuses to even pick up his weapon. Every day another malicious militia member abandons his post. Every day another fighter deserts instead of returning to the battlefield. Every day another youth conscientiously objects to the very idea of war. Every day another ordinary person offers up love instead of apathy, hope instead of despair, resistance instead of terror. The cause of peace grows stronger. It has already begun its long trek into our hearts. It will take many more years to cover our streets, a host of decades to feel our roads, our seas, our countryside. But it will come. Like the clearest of mornings after the harshest of storms, like the soft, soothing rain after the years of drought, it will come. Hundreds of millions of people will stop feeding the ravenous beast of war, will stop crafting its armaments, will stop oiling its machines with their children's blood sacrifice. Thousands upon thousands of soldiers will turn away from their leader's doomsday aspirations, refusing the burden of being a destroyer of homes, rejecting the obligation of being a killer of brothers, spurning the mantle of murderer of children, decimator of families, poisoner of the earth. One day it will on this tiny planet, flushed with blues, reaping in reds, opening green and fresh. It will be quiet on this day, so quiet it will pass almost unnoticed, because there will yet be hunger and floods and fire. There will yet be storms and despair and disease. There will yet be struggles and madness. But when that morning comes, thousands upon thousands will get up. Millions inside millions will stretch out and face the challenges of the moment with our tongues wrapped around the idea of peace, trying to feel its weight, hear its song, remember, invent, discover, recreate its rhythms as we begin to walk the long trail of healing. Sow it to grow it, be it to see it, peace. Sow it to grow it, be it to see it, peace. Sow it to grow it, be it to see it, peace. <laughs> Flying inside the evening sky. I don't know the name of the blues that shadow our path. One is sweet and light, a cool meringue, another sharp but still, a third thick presses down upon the rest. Cobalt, they would say, of the uppermost, a blue that hums deeply, a harmony of firmament, refusing clouds, denying stars, shining inside the cosmos. A forever blue, 
where life dies and is reborn. An eternal blue that exists above the storm. A blue that doesn't suffer discord. That would smile if it had a mouth. Embrace if it was armed. Comfort if it grew heart. But instead it arcs. A concert of blues hovering over the earth in an endless ocean of impossible quiet. Thick with blue beyond blue. A blue that disappears when clutched in the fist. A blue that is invisible inside. Thank you so much. Please uh, welcome Ms. Camille Dungey. Devora, that was a great reading, and you just totally changed up my playlist. So I'm going to start with a poem I read after I, I learned that um, the, the rate of uh, Valium prescriptions in uh, Baghdad skyrocketed after uh, the U.S. entry into that space. Bitan is the title of the poem, and it is a word, uh, the probable root of which is bitter, biting, cutting, sharp. Bitan. Once, she was a fierce, dark girl whose tongue skipped top of mouth, teeth, teeth, top of mouth, teeth. Like double dutch was a word that meant her thoughts cutting circles through the day bore. No chance she'd be the one to trip and break rhythm. Back then, she could sit all day on her porch, memorizing the trees. She could be still. The birds winged through leaves like they didn't know anyone could hurt them. Once, she believed steam curled off asphalt when summer rains stopped was a prophecy. She believed this looked the way she would feel after touching a man, her body clean and black and right, something beautiful and painless rising up. I was, I was talking um, with a, a friend about that idea of leaving, um, leaving places and leaving places behind. And the title of this poem is actually stolen directly um, from this conversation in which he said there was a particular state that he would never go back to. That's a state I'll never go back to. Once I got over the problem of not knowing how, I couldn't go back to not curving my tires. But it took a while to get past forgetting to register street cleaning hours. And love, love was my handicap, though I had no permit to hang from my rear view. So I collected seven or ten little slips. I had every intention to pay off, except I skipped town for the summer and returned to find the guys staying in my apartment tossed them. I'll admit, I was relieved not to face these expensive reminders of the girl I'd been, how stupid I was about life in the city. And as I'd finished school, 
was moving south for good this time. And as I lived then in a state of great anticipation, the potential of a record never crossed my mind. But now, on account of those parking tickets, I can't go back there with a car. Though everyone who loves me knows I love that tiny window each October in the south nub of the state you can't reach without driving. I missed it once and waited a whole year, regretting the lost chance to track the linden leaves' tiny migrations. The next fall, refusing to endure that state of desolation again, I asked everyone who loves me to please meet me just south of the border. We ordered green mussels. We ordered popcorn shrimp. The shrimp beat the mussels to the table. I was the only one who hadn't filled up on a giant egg cream. I drank for pleasure, but since I left that state, I hadn't found any particularly delicious. So I ate all the mussels. Crouched later in that state of betrayal that comes from learning some green things aren't good. Considering the law of averages, inertia, that a body in motion stays in motion unless faced with an equal or opposite force. Peer pressure, scatology, the projected near immediate devastation of world forests should certain highly populated nations generally adopt the U.S. model of toilet paper consumption. Germ theory, my own role in depressing the mean average of common human hygiene. I knew I never wanted to be anywhere near that state again. With extradition, with reciprocity, I was hardly away at all. When I first rolled over, my parents were pleased, and just as quickly, I left the state of never having rolled before. Ditto, slumping on all fours to crawling. And once I could walk, we all knew I was never going back. I just pulled myself up and started moving. I grabbed at everything I could reach. Until I learned better, I'd put my tongue on anything. Once, I ate papaya straight from the tree, and then I mourned the abject state of crated fruit. I, living in that state, in my ignorance, thought I loved. I denounced such love. I married a local. I taught myself how to keep his garden. I swear, I'm staying away from that state for good. So I heard this quote a while ago, and I've just loved it ever since. Just before she died, Gertrude Stein was able to ask, what is the answer? She got no response. Her last words were, in that case, what is the question? It is not who is it, are we there yet, is anybody home? Not how much for the lemon, not how much for the ivory, the leopard, the peach. Not when are we leaving, not how will we leave. Not do you know who she came with? How many clowns will fit in the car, the head of a pin? No one cares how many angels. 
No one cares what you think of the smart bomb, corruption, the mobs. Your opinion on deregulation, no one's concerned. The question is not who done it. The question is not what's for dinner, what's your beverage, where's the beef. The question is not who's your daddy. Is not which way will the wind blow. Is not where's the car. You wash behind your ears, right? The question is not, did you turn off the oven? Did you remember to set the alarm? What's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Did it bite you? Did you see it? What is this? What's got into you? No one's asking if you know where your children are. No one's asking if you can locate the nearest exits. In some cases, they may be behind you. No one cares whether or not you are being followed. Don't ask if it makes you look fat. The question is not, do you remember the time? Do you remember the time? Not, do you know the extension of the person you were calling? Not premium or regular, not paper, not plastic, credit or debit. The question is not, what can you do for your country? Not now, not later, not okay. The question is not what your country can do for you. The question is not who will save us. How are you getting by? I'll end uh, with a love poem. My lover who lives far. My lover who lives far away opens the door to my room and offers supper in a bowl made of his breath. The stew has boiled and I wonder at the cat born from its steam. The cat is in the bedroom now, mewling. The cat is indecent, and I, whom trying to be tidy, I, whom trying to do things the proper way, I, who am sick from the shedding, I am undone. My lover, who lives far away, opens the door to my room and offers pastry in a basket spun from his vision. It is closely woven, the kind of container some women collect. I have seen these in many colors, but the basket he brings is simple, only black, only nude. The basket he brings is full of sweetbreads, and I eat even the crumbs, as if I have not dined for days. My lover who lives far away, opens the door to my room and offers tea made from the liquid he's crying. I do not want my lover crying, and I am sorry I ever asked for tea. My lover, who lives far away, opens the door to my room, pretending he never cried. He offers tea and cold cakes. The tea is delicious, spiced like the start of our courtship, honey and warm. 
I drink every bit of the tea and put aside the cakes. My lover, who lives far away, opens the door to my room like a man loving his strength. The lock I replaced this morning will not keep him away. My lover, who lives far away, opens the door to my room and brings me nothing. Perhaps he has noticed how fat I've grown, indulged. Perhaps he is poor and sick of emptying his store. It is no matter to me any longer. He has filled me already so full. My lover, who is far away, opens the door to my room and tells me he is tired. I do not ask what he's tired from, for my lover far away has already disappeared. The blankets are big with his body. The cat under the covers because it is cold out and she is not stupid. Muse. Thank you. Please welcome Mr. Douglas Kearney. How many people know the song Living for the City by Stevie Wonder? Yeah, all right. Well, there's that great skit at the end where Stevie Wonder plays all the voices and he's, you know, gets arrested and everything. So uh, we started just going around going, New York City, skyscrapers and everything. Um, so this is a poem that reimagines uh, that gentleman exiting the bus in that skit as John Henry and uh, his time in there. This is just one, second, uh, one section of it. Skyscrapers and everything. Mr. J. Hammer Henry, with your black as rail spike neck, mallet-muscled Mr. J. Bama Henry outlandish off bus, could barely fit, hammer, poking out stowage like natural man's poke or skyscraper haymaker to the concrete for deep machine sleep, bus engine, stutter coal smoke world. Don't go, John Henry natural man, electric traffic light raise its bloody hand. Don't go across that street. All right. The flood song poems um, were poems written in reaction to Katrina. And I was trying to figure out, how can I enter that space of writing poems about that? I'm not from there. I don't have immediate family there. So I began to think to myself, who benefits from that tragedy? Who benefits from that kind of disregard for humanity? And the only thing I could think of were animals. Animals would benefit from that. So this first poem is called Flood Song Number 4. Mosquitoes drinking den. Drink every hour, next up this hour, and every hour after was born down in the river. There's enough to go around. Drink every hour, next on the hour, and ever hours after was drowned down in the river. There is not to go aground. Drink every hour, neck up the shower, and ne'er a shallow after was born down by a river. There's enough to go around. Drink every hour, next up this hour, and every area rafter down pour upon the river. There's sea love to go ground. Drink carry hours, messed up the sours, and devilry so laughter were burned down by the river. Air enough to go around. Drink air is next, or up the ebony land is air hereafter. Drown morsels, bite the survivors, go around, they are enough. Flood Song 8, Stray Dogs Duet. 
see every eye low. Food for the good. Love. Your hand smiled with me. You wanted me to understand you with my teeth. Hunger seemed the only tongue we shared. The sky opened, closed its door. The sky opened, closes its door. The sky hunger seems the only master. No, we both understand something like love. Good You know, you could feed pigeons, and they know to go there to get food because people feed them. Well, animals are smart like that. So sharks began to follow the ships because if you have human beings packed up like Ikea bookcases and one of them gets sick, you have to get rid of that sick one so it doesn't get all the other humans sick and ruin your investment. So you throw them overboard, and the sharks follow. This poem is a peppy poem about the Middle Passage called Swim Chant for Nigger Merfolk, an aqua boogie set in lapis. It samples uh, Parliament. It samples The Little Mermaid. There's an interpolation of T.S. Eliot, and it samples Robert Hayden. <laughs> Never learned to swim, but me chunk and die. Over a million ships, wow-wow-oo. Over a million ships, wow-wow-oo. Let your fish bones live, woman. Let your fish bones live, oh man. Let your fish bones live, woman. Let your fish bones live, oh man. Make a wish, ye black fish. Make a feed, ye black bleed. There's company coming, coming, coming. Hammer heads, hammers head to ham or head till hammers fed. Oh, there's company knocking, knocking. Great white jaw. Oh, great white jaw, jaw, juju. No, 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 no. There's company dying, dying. Duffy, Duffy. And all about was a darkening cloud and the gullets filled with brine and kine. Chatter, chatter, charnel channel of the deep blue. See all about that darkening cloud and the gullets full of water and the gullets full of blood. Assault, assault, oh, charnel channel of the deep blue sea. Beside and slide this foaming shroud assures no one will see. Just look at the world around you. Right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? So sang a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the flow of silent sea. Oh, you nigger merfolk. A love song for song lovers. It'll all be thin. Fine, thin. Attention, nigger mermaids, mermen and merninnies. Chain like hooked and sink sardinnies. Do not bleed into the sea. The stains won't wash out. We ancient responsible for your mess. Much a build, the management voyage did. There's company hatin', hatin'. Can't remember, but can't remember. Oh, there's company hatin', hatin'. The stains won't wash up. He wasn't dragged to death in kind of like a quick, oh, casual sort of way. No, they had fun with his body. They actually chained him to the back of the car, did fishtails so that his body would swing. 
across. Forensic evidence suggests that his body came loose at one point, and some of the men confessed to this, and they rechained him after rolling back over him to get him. Now, most of us have heard about this tragedy, but something that we don't necessarily hear is because dragged to death, we assume he was dragged as Achilles. No, it wasn't Achilles that was dragged. I can't remember who was dragging where. Dragged like this. Feet that way chained to the bumper of the truck, but it's not true. He wasn't dragged like that. He was dragged like this. Feet chained to the back of the truck, watching the road behind him as he goes. This poem is called Big Thicket, Pastoral, Jasper, Texas. To Big Thicket, a crack is a buckshot. To Big Thicket, crack is a stick throw. Crack, headlights staggering home. The road kills, but crack, to Big Thicket, we go, we go through sticks. The stick busts, hot, drink, drink, headlights stagger in the road. Long the trees, log up, creek, crack, stick broke, lights killed. We go, we go to Big Thicket, to home on a kill. Buckshot, crack, staggered by the white pit, headlights to Big Thicket. Buck on each pickup, staggering, what you looking at? The white pit, stick broke, crack, buck broke, crack. The white stick, Big Thicket, long the trees, long the creek, drink staggered, broke white kill. The buck staggering home, crack, the trees pick up, we go, we go, we go on to Big Thicket, what are you doing here? Buck, stick to home, crack, stick broke, white lights, break the trees, break for home, long the road, home, white homing on, we, buckshot, crack, 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 we go, we go, go on to Big Thicket, long the Huff Creek, the rushes in the drink, pack head white, what you think you are? Buck, is fist boots bone, crack, a stick broke, buck stick in the rushes, buck back in the rushes, put them back on, put them back on, buck head in the rushes, what you think in the rushes, put them back on, put them back on, to Big Thicket, we go to Huff Creek head, hot, we go to head, staggering along the trees, the staggered creek head, the rushes, crack, a stick broke, the creek breaks, the hot light, to Big Thicket, we go, we go, go on to White Huff, to Buckshot, to Long Road home, we go, we go, we go on to Big Thicket, to Huff Creek road, a drunk pickup, roadkill staggering, bucks, hot, drunk head light, rushes, Huff Creek road, pickup, rushes, drunk head, screeching, rage, Huff Creek road by drunk head, screeching, white, what you, what you, what you, what you, to Big Thicket, we go, we go, go on, crack, is a buckshot, crack, is fist boots bone, crack, the road kills, crack, a broke stick, long the staggering creek, it go, it go, on. And I'm going to close with a poem from the book. Uh, it's called Live Evil. It's the name of Miles Davis' uh, album. Um, and many of us also know that Miles Davis uh, uh, abused Cicely Tyson, his wife, uh, physically. Um, Pearl Fleet wrote an, an interesting essay called Mad at Miles. This poem, the reason this poem exists is because of that essay. And there are a few epigraphs that will kind of uh, ground it some more. Quote, Miles was, gu was guilty of self-confessed violent crimes against women such that we ought to break his records, burn his tapes, and scratch up his CDs until he acknowledges and apologizes. Pearl Fleet. The trumpet's mouth is apology. Terrence Hayes. You just write a poem about your need to do that. Ahmad Jamal Johnson. Ahmad Jamal Johnson's brother, by the way. I haven't seen him in years. Joe Johnson. All right, live evil. The pin's point comes down on the butterfly. The knuckle comes down on Miss Sicily. The mallet comes down on the CD case. Wait! The mallet comes down on the butterfly. The pin's point comes down on Miss Sicily. The knuckle comes down on the CD case. Ah! The knuckle comes down on the butterfly. The mallet comes down on Miss Sicily. 
the pin's point comes down on the CD case. Bitch! The men's point, the knuckle, the mallet, damn it! The butterfly, the Sicily, the CD case. The rose's velvet plumes rip at the aphid spit, but that feeds something. The phoenix's dazzling petals in the ash draws, but that births something. The martyr's ecstatic smile as the bowels give, but that saves something. What did we know? Listen to the butterfly. The pinpoint makes no sound. Sticking the felt shell, no brass whale into the air. Here, it's silent as a necktie. This isn't quite right. Miss Sicily, a CD case and a pinstripe three-piece. Did he wear a pinstripe three-piece? Did she kiss its lapel with red lipstick? Did he stick her lips red? Did she kiss it? I threw out the liner notes. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes he wore a pinstripe three-piece and a dazzling tie. The air was what bowels give. I have a mallet. Did he kiss her? Lips red? Did he stick her with a pin's point? Listen to the brass whale. Listen to the butterfly. The plastic breaks and the silent breaks. This is the song of a man thinking he can build a rose with a mallet, make an infant phoenix with a pin's point, be a martyr with knuckles. This is the song of a man who threw out the liner notes. He wore ash straws. Wait a bit, damn it, Miss Sicily! Why won't you wait? Listen to the song of a man giving what bowels give. He had a mallet and the oils in the hands cripple. The butterfly won't fly again, so but a wait, but a stare, but a stare. Like this, a felt. What have we made? Better wait. Stay still. Listen to the song of a man in sleep. He shall. It comes down. It comes down. The pin's point. The knuckle. The mallet. Wait a bit. No plaything. No saving. No feeder. Damn it. Listen. To the song of a man who thinks. What?